1: Our world is full of the unexplainable, and if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Truman Capote once said that failure is the condiment that gives success its flavor, well-known failures include inventors like Thomas Edison, who claimed that, no, he hadn't failed, he just found 10,000 ways that didn't work while developing the first practical incandescent light bulb. Colonel Harlan Sanders had a long history of failed businesses throughout his life. After working on railroads in his younger days, he set out on his own starting a ferry boat company, a cafe, and a motel, all of which failed. Then, in 1959, with only his savings, a $105 social security check, and a secret chicken recipe to his name, he franchised his fried chicken restaurant at the age of 65. But there are those who never get past their failure. Not only do they embrace their aversion to success, they celebrate it. Author Stephen Pyle wrote an entire book about humanity's inability to get out of its own way in his 1979 compendium, The book of heroic failures one entry discussed a museum exhibit in northern england where an ancient roman coin had been on display the plaque beside the coin stated that it had been minted between ad 135 and ad 138 and a big letter r had been stamped onto it it would have been an impressive piece but only if you worked for the robinson's soft drink company the coin hadn't come from ancient rome It had been a plastic giveaway from a soda company to anyone who had collected enough bottle labels to earn one. Another entry told the story of Desert Island Discs, a popular radio show in Britain during the 1970s. The concept was simple, and I bet you can guess what it was. The host would ask a celebrity guest about the eight albums that they would take with them if they somehow found themselves trapped on a deserted island. Roy Plomley, the show's host, had been trying to get the novelist Alistair MacLean to be a guest on the show. McLean had been the author of the best-selling novels The Guns of the Navarone and Where the Eagles Dare, both of which had been turned into hit films. McLean wasn't one to do interviews, though, but in this case he agreed and met Plomley for lunch at the Seville Club, a private members club in London. Their conversation started off with small talk, and the two seemed to be having a good time. Then Plomley asked McLean about his writing process. McLean had no idea what he was talking about. Plomley then asked about one of his most famous novels, The Guns of the Navarone. But McLean had nothing to say. It turns out that the man Plomley had been talking to wasn't Alistair McLean, the author. He was Alistair McLean, the head of the Ontario Tourist Bureau. But Plomley, undeterred and unwilling to admit his mistake, invited Mr. McLean back to the studio to record the interview anyway, which was never aired, of course. But perhaps the most egregious failure in the book came from the form of a special club started by the author himself. It was called the Not Terribly Good Club of Great Britain, and its members were some of the worst the country had to offer. According to his book, the club had been formed three years prior to publication, and its membership had skyrocketed from 20 to 200 in that short time. In fact, the book itself arose out of the stories he heard during those early meetings. Their mission was simple, to honor and celebrate people who had never found success, and who demonstrated rank incompetence in their lives. And they were committed to this, too. During an early meeting, one clumsy member knocked over a bowl of soup. But club president and author of the book, Stephen Pyle, managed to catch the bowl as it toppled off the table, saving the soup and the meal. For his success, they forced him to resign, as per the bylaws that he himself helped write. After his book was published, interest in the group grew, and Pyle was forced to disband it for good. You see, he'd included an application for membership in the Not Terribly Good Club of Great Britain in the back of the book. Despite tossing it in as a joke, many who purchased the Book of Heroic Failures actually did fill it out and mail it in. 20,000 readers, in fact. And by that measure, the club itself had become a success. And the book's rapid rise to the bestseller status meant that Pyle had become successful as well. He wrote all about that in his second book, The Return of Heroic Failures. Even though he'd been unsuccessful at remaining unsuccessful, he'd succeeded in finding more stories of unsuccessful folks who had failed to succeed. And if you diagram all that out, connect the dots, and be sure to carry the one, I think it means his plan was a big success. Or a failure. I'm not entirely sure.
0: These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
2: Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
1: The Earth is essentially a living organism. Not only does it team with life on and below its surface, but the planet itself is constantly changing to either accommodate or to eradicate that which it needs to survive. As pressure builds up inside it, the Earth uses roughly 1,900 active vents on its surface to relieve that pressure into the atmosphere. We know these vents better as volcanoes, and they can be quite destructive. When a volcano erupts, it spews molten lava and ash, which can decimate the environment around it for miles. For example, there's a 700-meter crack near Yellowstone National Park that was discovered in 2015. It could indicate that a supervolcano is located beneath the park. Should it erupt, it could devastate most of the United States. And that's the problem with many volcanoes. There are hundreds beneath the surface of the Earth that we can't see. Yet we continue to build right on top of them, unaware of the danger that lurks below. Mexican farmer Dionisio Polito didn't know that there were any volcanoes in his village of Paracutin, Mexico, back in 1943. He'd begun his day by clearing out his cornfields on the morning of February 20th. Spring was only a few months away, and it would soon be time to sow the next round of crops. During the previous week, he and others in the village had been experiencing mild underground tremors. The tiny earthquake startled them at first, but people quickly grew used to them. He kept working hauling shrubs from his cornfields to a safe location where they could be burned and disposed of. As the sun moved across the sky, and the morning faded into the afternoon, Polito also moved from one field to another, clearing brush and preparing the soil for spring. Then he noticed something that he hadn't before. A hill. Small, but definitely out of place. Like something had whacked the earth on the head and caused a lump to form. Polito climbed to the top of the hill and looked down. A crack, roughly 150 feet long and 6 feet wide, ran along its top. The crack wasn't too deep, and Polito figured it was the result of the small quakes that had been happening in the area. Unfazed, he returned to his field. Later, he felt a loud rumble suddenly churn underneath him. Polito thought it was thunder, but there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Unbeknownst to him, a river of magma flowed beneath his feet, kicking up sulfur smell like rotten eggs. The fissure hissed and smoke arose from the gap. Polito finally ran to find his family, but found his farm empty. He jumped on his horse and rode into town where everyone had been waiting for him. Hours later, the small hill on Dionisio Polito's farm had grown even larger. In fact, one witness described flames that shot 2,600 feet into the air before raining down like fireworks from above. The next day, his farm had been taken over by a volcano over 160 feet tall. After a week, the cone was over 300 feet tall. Ash clouded the sky, and lava flowed from its opening. Over the course of eight months, the crack in Polito's farm had become a towering volcano 1,200 feet tall with a lava flow that threatened to engulf the entire village. But that wasn't all. The ash killed crops for miles around and resulted in dunes that spread with the wind. The village was evacuated as the lava took over and eventually swallowed the town of San Juan. All that remained was the church bell tower among the jagged landscape of volcanic rock. After about a year, the volcano seemed to calm down, though it did occasionally erupt every now and then. Scientists took its formation as an opportunity to study how scoria-cone volcanoes came into the world, which might save future towns and citizens from losing their homes or their lives. As for the poor farmer who lost his fields, well, he did manage to find the silver lining. He returned to the area that had once been his farmland, and he planted a sign in the rocky ground. It read, This volcano is owned and operated by Dionisio Pulido. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities.